Like, it's just like two old friends catching up and then, like, <laughs> we'll talk about all these different concepts. And be like, man, that's that's deep. And then before you know it, like, an hour and a half done went by. Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> gosh, you and I are, we, there's, we have some differences yeah. that I think help each other out. But we're very similar in a lot of ways. Um, sure. We like shiny things. We like, yeah. oh, new idea. Let me, the, I, the yeah. good idea fairy just visited me, so let me go chase that. Absolutely. Um, and, and I can always tell the look on Keith's face when the, I have a new I, idea fairy moment and I'm pitching it to him and I'm, I can tell by the look in his eyes, he's not having it. He's like, <laughs> no, <sighs> Jason, not again. <laughs> so you need somebody like I have. So my brother, um, I have an older brother and he's in the, um, goodness, what would I call it? He works on like power grids and substations and stuff like this. And he's like a manager. So what he does is he's all about safety and like he's a safety guy. So he's picking apart everything that goes wrong. So whenever I bring a new idea, I'm like, his name's TK I'm like, hey, or Tarek. I'm like, hey, Tarek, uh, I got this idea. And before I know it, man, he's like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I'm like, okay. Well, I got an answer for that. I got an answer for that. So, like, he's kind of like my sounding board to kind of work through all these ideas. Because, I mean, like you, I'm, I'll get an idea, like, probably like five, six in a day. And I'm like, ooh, I could do that. And then I have to, like, catch myself or else I'll put time in it trying yeah. to figure it out. And it's like, no, just let that sit over there for a little bit and let it marinate. And then we'll come back to it. I have two people in my life that are that help with that. So, uh, Farrah's great. Farrah and I complement each other very well because yeah. we're opposites in so many ways. Yeah, we're there's things we're very similar in. Uh-huh. We're very driven, motivated, and and goal oriented. Yeah. Um, and we very you know principles are important to us. But I think that's where like there's a, we start to deviate. And so I'm like new idea, new idea, new idea, new idea. And she's like, no, this is like often. I mean, they're both like. Keith and Pharaoh both will say, hey, Jason, is that what you should be working on right now? Right. I'm like, no, but that's where the dopamine comes from, <laughs> is getting the new I, thing done. I want the dope. <laughs> but, well, it's also part of, like, yeah. you have these little, I, I bet you see this in your in your uh, work, these little things that are, like, tapping on you that are annoying you yeah. because they're, like, little problems. Yeah. And they're not disrupting the entire company, but they're disrupting your focus. And so it's, oh, like, crush that, move on to the next thing. And so the problem is, though, like long term measuring that you probably would have been more effective just pushing through and getting the more important thing done. Yeah. But 100%. for me, that's it. That's my biggest challenge is like, I know what we need to do, mm-hmm. but there's all these distractions of yeah. things that I know if I just fix this, it will solve some of that problem. My attention span. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back to like books we've read that we've recommended and probably read in the past, just like trying to figure out what's important, what your priorities are like and getting, your priorities lined up with your goals and like, it's a whole like complex web, man, of just trying to not waste time on things that don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, there's, so that book back there, hundred million dollar offer by Alex Ramosi. I think okay. I gave you that. Did I? No, no. I'm going to turn around and look, I don't know what the camera's going to do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, you know what? I think that's the book I have still wrapped from Christmas for you at my house that I haven't given you. Christmas presents. So that's what you know. So now you know what that is. So now you know what that is. But um, what he talks about, which is very interesting, I don't know if it's in the book, but it's in some of his other talks, is the the hierarchy of 
of how you should make decisions on what to focus on. And the first one is doing more. So if you have a thing that's working, do more of it mm-hmm. until you've maximized that. The next thing is then you you um, improve what you're working on. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it is the new. And the problem is a lot of times we think the solution is the new. Okay, so oh, yeah. I need this new process to get more clients. I need this new thing to go pitch yep. versus like let's just do more and turn the volume up. 100%. And you got to have dials on those things so you can turn them up or down. Right. And so that's yep. where maybe the improving the process so you can put a dial on it. So, yeah, 100%. Man, I think, well, I don't think I know. I think, or I know people get the shiny object syndrome and want to go play with new because it's new, exciting. I mean, it happens in relationships, business, no matter what industry or, you know, aspect you look at it from. And, you know, it's, it's like, man, if I would just take the time to, like, this is rolling, like, just, make this better like yeah. just focus all my energy into making this better i mean that's kind of the compound effect right i mean it's like simple interest and compounding interest it's all right if i do this over and over and over and over and over again to improve i'm gonna improve as right. opposed to improve a little bit Ooh, new thing then you're starting all over again Ooh, new thing then you're starting all over like you're never going anywhere mark cuban <clears throat> did this talk where actually, no, I think it was someone who got advice from Mark Cuban mm-hmm. did this talk. And, uh, in this, this guy had these 10 businesses that yeah. he was pursuing. I think you've heard this one before mm-hmm. 10 businesses. And he said, um, I'm basically, I'm having trouble trying to push all this forward. You know, how, what's your answer? Yeah. And Mark's answer was very simple. It's like, okay, if you know, it's going to take, this much effort, you have a fixed amount of effort to get all of these businesses to where they need to be. You times that by the amount of businesses or the amount of shiny objects. Mm -hmm. And that's how much time it's going to take you. It's going to take you 10 years. Mm. But if you just take the one that's most important or has the highest likelihood of success and you apply all your effort to that, you've now shortened that time frame, which puts you in a different position to apply more resources to the next one. It's not, it's not, Addition is multiplication. 100%. I think this is, I mean, I want to keep all this in, but let's, (laughs) let's, I'm going to jump right into this. That sound good? Yeah, let's roll. Okay. Everyone, I want to welcome you to episode 10 of the Confessions of a Dealmaker podcast. I'm your host, Jason Godwin. I am so excited for today's guest, uh, Jark Thomas, JT, one of my longest and dearest friends. I would not be where I am today without his friendship, without his counsel. Oh, man. And that's why I wanted to have you on today is because of your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, and what you've been able to accomplish in your life. JT is a Florida native, believer in Jesus, prides himself on building long-lasting relationships, producing quality work, and always stepping up to a challenge. Holds a Bachelor's of Science from Illinois State University, where you play D1 football as a defensive end. Yep. Master's in Education from American College of Education. And you've had a very unique journey. You have owned several companies. You've been in the education space. You're a performance trainer. You actually train the Orlando Predators. Yep. Um, you've done uh, sports combines. Man, yeah. You, you've, <laughs> you've done uh, credit repair. Yep. You've done, you're, you're a, uh, certified uh, loan originator. 
I am. Yeah. And you're also the operations manager for the fastest growing accounting firm in the United States. Absolutely. Solutions Group Accounting Firm, the only accounting firm in the Inc. 5000. Okay. So. See, I don't even know all that, but, you know. And I'm just, (laughs) I'm honored to have you here because you're one of my dearest friends, but also you're one of the wisest people I know. You know, we've had this conversation and you and I can sit down and do this for hours because we, I, we both are very passionate about mm-hmm. self-improvement, yep. about growth, about um, reaching for what you what you think you're beyond your what you're capable of. Absolutely. So, well, thank you for having me, man. Um, it, it it's so refreshing because this has probably been <clears throat> I don't know four or five years in the making. I mean, I remember when you first started talking to me. I'm like, man awesome to get us on a podcast together and we just start talking. I was like, yeah, man. And then, you know, we always have our, our phone conversations when we're riding in the car somewhere trying to transition to the next spot. And, um, man, like just to see what you've done in a short period of time, step out on faith, take risk and like really go for it, man. Like it's a, a true testament to like this today. So I'm, I'm excited to be here and kind of go through that, man. Well, and you I'm- push me. So, no, I'm, I'm very grateful. I, you've been a part of this from the beginning because you remember when I was in my other companies and was making the hard decision on, okay, this isn't the lifestyle I want. What do I need to do? And so you and I wrestled with this together to figure out what was the best fit. And it took a lot of, um, it took a lot of courage to take, you know, I was, I was comfortable. I was making good money, but yeah. it just, I didn't enjoy the business. Absolutely. I didn't enjoy the day to day and to get out of that. And, and to let that go and then build this up, it took a lot of faith and having Absolutely. a, you know, people like you around me to support me was all that made all the difference. Yeah, man, I, I totally understand. Transition is scary and, you know, you, you kind of get in, not even in a rut, but you get on this track and, you know, your, your skill sets and the things that you have, that's all like, you think that you have, but. At any given time, it could be taken away from you. Something could happen. You can't work there anymore. So you have to be flexible and ready to pivot at a moment's notice. So, you know, just I think helping other people see that, you know, it, it's a little bit of a passion of mine, man. As as we get into this thing, you'll you'll find out here. Um, you know, here recently I did a, a complete 180 and in terms of, you know, what I was doing. I was a full-blown teacher, had, you know, my teaching degree, had a master's. You know, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. And literally jumped into the industry I really knew nothing about, had no credentials for. And, you know, I'm able to go over there and just because of the, the skills and the gifts God's given me, and, you know, and, and people like you connected me, been able to thrive. So, I mean, you know, it's just a, a true testament that, you know, your your accolades and what you have don't really define you. You know, it's, it's your work ethic, it's your character, it's your integrity. All those things help you progress through life and you pick up little skills along the way to, to help you do the next thing. So yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I like, I like to tell young people this. So the, the degree or a certification in something uh-huh. It's sole, its sole purpose is to show someone you can stick with the process for Absolutely. an amount of time and execute on that process and complete it and see it to the, see it to completion. Absolutely. Employers don't care about what that degree is in. No. I think most employers don't even – if you can pr- prove that you can do all these things without having a degree, they're all about it because yeah. they Absolutely. it doesn't matter. It's, employers want people on their team who can execute. 
yep. right? And they can get things done. They can they can create. And I mean, you've created so many things out of thin air. And and also, when thinking about this, I don't know many people who can manage as many things with as much grace as you can. I mean, I've seen you uh, work a work a job, run a company, volunteer, and develop something new all at the same time without seeming chaotic you just kind of have it all under control if you think i mean like you yesterday you and i were talking on the phone you're like oh yeah i forgot about i forgot i have that business (laughs) i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing (laughs) it's like jt are you uh actively participating in this company yeah yeah sure what what you need me to do (laughs) i mean it's working right (laughs) yeah absolutely so let's talk a little bit about your history and and what brought you here today let's talk about you know where it all started well, how far do you want to go back? I mean, like, well, when I was five, you know, like. <laughs> Let's start at college. Okay. Oh, let me get it. Ah, I'll try not to get long with it because I tend to go off on tangents. So, uh, man, college was uh, pretty awesome. I uh, was able to earn a scholarship and, you know, go. I was always that kid where I was up for a new adventure and, and experiencing new things. So, you know, you took this Florida kid and. You know, I, I met this coach. And he's like, hey, you want to come up to Illinois? I'm like, yeah, I've never been there before. And, you know, straight culture shock going up there, going from, you know, 90 degree blue sky weather to, you know, gray every, you know, six to seven months out the year. And like you got weird animals like squirrels that look like dogs and <laughs> and foxes and just weird stuff, you know, so. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll say the same about us. We all are uh, dinosaur lizards and alligators. Yeah. But uh, college was fun, man. I learned a lot about life. Um, it was good to get away um, because, you know, as a man, you you kind of have to, you know, God calls us to leave the mother and father. You know, typically they talk about it in the marriage, but, like, sometimes you just got to go out there and, and figure life out on your own, you know, like blaze your own path and – College was that for me, man. I took some risk, you know, got my heart heart, uh, heart broken a couple times. You know, you, you go through that when, you know, you find a girl that you like and it don't always work out. Um, learned about adversity and overcoming things through through football and, you know, being injured and, and everything um, a couple times throughout college. It just – college was that microcosm where you can actually learn, like, life – in, in that immediate, like, moment, um, you know, um, what else happened? Uh, the hot, the, the turning point or the, the major <clears throat> event in college that happened to me that kind of set me on my path was <clears throat> my senior year in college. Um, you know, I was on track to go to the NFL. You know, I was, goodness, what was I, like, 275 running a 4740. Back then, that was, like, blazing fast. Now you got, like, freaks of nature but um you know everything was going right and in a moment's instance like we talked about um I had a guy that cut blocked me kind of pretty much dove at my legs literally just blew my ankle in two so it was just hanging on (laughs) literally by skin and um football was over for me man and I'll never forget just you know going from the field to the car to you know, the events that happened, you know, um, sitting on the sideline, looking back at my teammates, you know, I realized, man, 
I had so much impact on them and I had my head so far down in the hole just working that I didn't realize that I was leading these guys, you know, like they, they looked up to me and like cared about me, like just to see the look on their face, like, man, like we just lost JT. Like, I'm like, okay. And then, you know, being carted off and people yelling, and we love you. And I'm just like, like, where's all this coming from? And then just breaking down in the van, like, is it really over? And I'll never forget this part. I called my mom and you know, you gotta love moms. Um, I called her. I was like, mom, I just broke my ankle. I'm hurt. Football's over for me. And, and, you know, I, I love her to death. She'll say, she said, uh, you knew you weren't going to play football forever. So like suck it up. And it's like such a mom thing to say, like, okay, mom, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to call you back. <laughs> so, um, hung up the phone with her, man. And then this, this thing right here is really what set me on my course. Uh, a calming spirit just came over me and, you know, like it was cloudy and the sky opened up and like sun just came out and God was just like, Hey, I have something more for you. Like this, this doesn't define you. Like it's going to be okay. And literally in that moment, like all my care, all my worry just kind of melted away. And like, I'm literally in the hospital joking with, with the nurses and my foot's hanging on by its skin. And <laughs> like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, this is nothing. So, you know, that moment in college kind of set me on my path to being the person that I'm at, I am because, you know, life's going to throw you hardships. Life's going to throw you curveballs, And you just kind of, you got to be flexible, man. You got to be open and willing to be like, okay, well, what's next? So. I've got a, a few friends who spent time in the military and different special operations groups and whatnot. And one mm -hmm. trend I've seen is, um, and this is similar to your experience, you have yeah. someone who's on a, an elite team mm -hmm. and you're pr all pursuing being the best version of yourselves. And so you are committing to pursuing greatness, yeah. not just be for your own self, but because of the team around you. You don't want to let them down. Absolutely. And then when you get injured and you're taken away from that team, you have this tug of, I just want to get back because I want to be with those guys or, or that group of people. I want, I want to contribute. I don't want to let them down. Mm -hmm. And then when you have that realization that because of the physical injury, you're not able to go back, there's a portion of you that you have to let die. Yeah. And most people who experience that type of hardship, that's where they get stuck. They get wrapped up in what I could have been, what I wanted mm -hmm. to be. This was what I had in mind. Right. And they, that's where they stay. And so for the rest of their life, they'll tell people, well, I almost did this. Yeah. I almost did that. I was almost able to do this. And they're so connected to the thing that they almost did because it identified them that they mm -hmm. weren't able to you know, shed their skin and become something new and have the courage to believe in themselves and to believe in the mission they're on. To, okay, this is part of the journey. It doesn't define me who I am internally defines me, let's find the next mission. Absolutely. And you made that switch so quickly because of this peace that you had and because of the belief that you had. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, to this day, like, I'll, I'll talk to old teammates who are younger than me, and they're like, man, like, how did you, like, how did you, like, just switch it off like that, man? Like, 
other people would have been like distraught. Like to your point, like people would have like this is them. Like they know nothing else other than football. And it's like you know, like that can't be it. I'm I'm always searching for like, all right, well, what like what more can I do? Like you know, per- pursuing like not necessarily perfection, but just wanting to do better and more and just you know i guess people would be like oh well you're not content it's like no i like i just want to be better than i was yesterday and just always striving to like improve something like something can always get better yeah no matter what situation you're in like okay let's put some work put forward some work and let's see what can happen so yeah you've always had a very positive attitude i when when things have gone wrong for you, I mean, you've had some some unfair things happen. Yeah. Um, it doesn't get you down for very long. No, um, that's one where, place where you and I differ. Like, I have to I have to actively switch that negativity off because I get so focused on the result that I want yeah. that I have a hard time uh, letting go of that outcome I'm mm-hmm. trying to pursue. Absolutely, and and, and it's crazy because <clears throat> you know I always say it. Well, yeah, I always say it like this, like. You, you have an idea, like God has a plan and you have a plan, right? So your plan is to do X, Y, and Z. Well, God may want that for you too, but he may take you on a different path. So while you're right there in, in grab reach of what you want, <clears throat> God may be like, hey, man, I'm going to take you over here and I need you to learn a few more things. And, and it's going to be a roundabout way, but you'll find years down the line, you've already accomplished the thing that you wanted and you probably didn't even realize it. There's, there's a character trait in being able to have that ripped away from you and it not devastate you that separates a large majority of, of, of achievers. I mean, there's people who are very, very successful that Mm -hmm. they can't manage that. Right. Um, if you, uh, you look at, Buds, right? So that's uh, the Navy SEAL training program, basically mm-hmm. on a word demolition training. Yeah. Um, one thing they see often is athletes, D1 athletes, college athletes, have a very hard time with the program because they've never failed in anything their whole life. They have always been top of their class educationally. They've always been uh, performance-wise. Um, life is just kind of like giving them what they wanted, not because of luck, but because they had the skills to do it. Yeah. But that program is set up specifically to force you to fail. No matter how good you are, they're going to find your breaking point, yeah. and it's who are you when you meet your breaking point. Um, what characteristics come out? What What is your internal monologue look like when you hit that breaking point when you are right there where you can reach it and it's taken from you? Yeah. Um, and when someone's doing that to you, it could be a person making, doing that to you, taking something from you. How do you react? That is the defining, I think, one of the rarest traits in humans is the ability to accept that and not let it throw you off your course and continue on the journey. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's funny, you're, like when you started talking about that, I had a, um, a talking story. So um, I learned how to lose early in my life in high school. Like, you know, I went to a very good athletic high school where we made it to States my senior year, you know, out of, and then in the state of Florida, football's like, it's kind of like Texas and California, like football's it. Like if yeah. you make it to States, you're good. 
because you got to beat a lot of teams. People will still <clears> talk <throat> about that at their 20th year reunions. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, you know, um, I learned how to lose in that moment. And, you know, I, and I, and we didn't just lose. We lost in the, like, the toughest way, like, down to the wire. So I'll never forget. It was, you know, fourth quarter, 30 seconds on the clock, like one of those stories that you only hear on like TV or somebody like, you know, 30 seconds on the clock. And, you know, we're up by like three, I think it was. And it's fourth down and we're fighting to get to the quarterback. And he literally throws up a Hail Mary, the darn safety bit on the pump fake or something. And the dude catches it, dives into the end zone, game's over. Like I lost like that (laughs) as a, 16, 17 year old kid, man, to like work so hard for years to get to that, that pinnacle of high school. Like that's it. You know, there's, there's nothing else in high school, you know, to me, that's like greater than states in a sport and to watch it be ripped away from you and watch like, like, kids crying and I was crying and just to to watch that man it, it taught me so much even going into college it's like you know what life's life doesn't care like what you want life's not gonna always give you what you want and when it doesn't you got to be ready to move on and adapt and use that as fuel for your next thing because it, it it doesn't define you there you know like the only thing that really defines us is our character how we treat people we love people and, and you know how we operate in in this space you know and on earth and um i don't know man like I, I think there's a lot of lessons that like winning feels good but losing really teaches you a lot of lessons that like humble you and just keep you like you know what i'm okay like i can do i can do anything i can do this like i made it through that i can do the next thing i made it through that and you can just move on I'm sure you've seen that famous speech that the Georgia Tech head coach has given about winning's not loyal to you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not a destination. It is it is a activity. Yeah. So I think a lot of people in business and in life get it confused where they think that winning is a destination that when I get to this point I've accomplished this. Right. And then when they don't or they have these setbacks, they get discouraged or yeah. they, they have a fear where they're afraid to change course or they're afraid to let go of something and try something new. Mm-hmm. Where winning is a decision that you make every day that you're going you're gonna to attempt to win. Right. You're going to push yourself no matter how you feel about it, mm-hmm. no matter how um, you physically feel, no matter what obstacles are in front of you, it doesn't matter. You're going to you're going to apply that effort to every situation because it's a it's a measurement of your character. It's a it's a um, a result of who you are. It's not a, it's not something that you just achieve. I think people miss that. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And that reminds me of a book that um I've read and I think I, I gave to you for one Christmas, <laughs> um called Who Not How. Yes. Uh, by uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy and right there. Right next to conscientious yeah. leadership. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that book is awesome, and <clears throat> you know, to your point, you know, looking at winning, like, what do you define as winning? You 
know, like mm. uh, they talk about having um, a daily wins book because it's real easy to always cast that vision for where you're going and where you're trying to get to. And it, it's constantly moving because you have to set new goals. You have new, you know, inspirations and, and things like that. And you often forget to look back and see what you actually accomplish. So, you know, one of the exercises they call, call you to do is to create a win book. So, like, actually, I have my win. That's what's right here. I have my win book right here, and it says all I do is win on it. So what I do is every day I have to find three wins that I did. And winning can be anything, man. Like, you know, like on this day I completed a bunch of tasks. Um, I had a game plan for something. Like just little stuff that you, you know, I look back a year from now and be like, whoa, look at what I actually accomplished. You know, because when you're in it, you don't you don't realize like, like this right here is a win. Like just the fact that we were able to get together. Yeah. You know, get a scheduled time to come in here and just talk to each other. That's a win in my book yeah. because, you know, who knows where this is going to lead both of us. So, yeah, you know, like being able to look back and appreciate the things that you are doing on a daily basis and not getting so caught up about like, yeah, I want to be there. And then if I'm not there, I'm not successful. And it's like, no, like look at, like, look at what you're doing on a daily basis that allows you to thrive and, and be successful and get you there. And before you know it, you're there and you look back and you're like, well, man, I was there a lot quicker than I thought I would be when I'm not focusing on just trying to get there. So yeah, that's what, that's what this is. That's why it was sitting there. Funny yeah. that, that it kind of transitioned into that. Um, <clears throat> Patrick bit David, big fan of his content, his books. I forgot how he worded it. So I'm not going to word it right, but he, I believe it was actively patient mm-hmm. that you are, focused on the mission and you're taking steps, but you're patient and present in the moment. So like Alex Ramosi talks about, um, if I told you five years from now, you're going to be a millionaire, but you're not going to make anything between now and five years. Could you do it? Right. And a lot of people, they can't. And it's, you know, because they have to have that instant gratification to be able to move ahead. And so having a, when you have a long-term goal that you want to pursue, that's hard and big, you have to be willing to be patient in the moment and be present and take those small wins and say, okay, so I, I took steps today to get me close to where I want to be. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. Absolutely. Um, I kept the, the, the first thing, the first thing I put the, the, I put people around me first and I executed on the things that I said I was going to do. I lived, I lived out the character that I want to exhibit mm-hmm. in life. And if you do that every day, you will notice that over time you get closer to that goal without even knowing it. Absolutely. You may not have some measurable, you know, thing like a big deposit in your bank account or your, you know, your name up on a billboard, but over time that's that those actions compound and they start paying dividends. And all of a sudden the world starts opening up to you because you have new relationships because people have seen you striving for years. They've seen that you have character, you, you commit to things, you finish things and, and those, if you look at the people who are most successful, that's what they do. They execute. I mean, you, you look at people like, let, let's say, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. Two, two tech giants. They get their teeth kicked in quarterly by shareholders with things that are going wrong. Mm-hmm. But some things that would make a normal person, I mean, look at 
Look at how much Facebook lost on the metaverse, right? right. They're still pursuing forward, right? They're not, they're not discouraged because they know what the long-term goal is of the company. Um, whether you agree with that or not, that's up to you. But Absolutely. they have a goal that they're pursuing, and they're going to take steps towards that every single day. Elon with his purchase of Twitter. Everyone told him not to do it. Nobody liked it. But he believes in free speech so much, it's beyond money for him. He's doing this because he believes that people need to be able to communicate with each other. So he's unwavered no matter how much it hurts his pocketbook, no matter how much it hurts his connections, his relationships, because he believes in in opening up free speech and, and letting people have a voice. Yeah, that reminds me, I think I was watching on Instagram where, he was having the interview with the the one guy and the guy was asking him, you know, don't you care about your shareholders? Like, don't you? And he like paused for a moment, like, or actually longer than a moment. He like got his thoughts together and then he referenced the princess bride. It was like, give me money, give me power. Yes. I, I care not. And he's like, I don't care. He's like, I don't care what they say. I don't care what they want. And, you know, time over time, he's, he's hit his mark. Yep. He, he's gotten his shareholders paid like so how how can you not like appreciate that in a person you know? yeah like okay like yeah i'm i'm down to ride with him because you know he don't care he sees his he sees the, the mission he sees his goal and he's gonna and he's gonna go for it you know that's who you would want as a leader yeah you know? like you want somebody who's unwavering it's like hey this is what it is like Oh well, your shareholders are mad. Okay, well, I'll I'll pull back. I won't I won't disrupt the pond. It's okay. Like you want somebody who's going to trudge forward and just be like, hey, we're going to get this done. You know, I don't care how much money I got spent. So, <laughs> I heard this recently. Perseverance mm-hmm. is a com- is a combination of persistence and tenacity, mm-hmm. because they're persistence and tenacity are not the same thing. Um, let's say you have a rock that you need to chip away to get to a diamond, right? Um, tenacity is you may chip at it a few times and that doesn't work, so you try something else, you try something else, you try something else, you don't stick with the problem. Whereas persistence is you are going to hammer down on that rock until it breaks into a diamond, right? Mm-hmm. Each situation ha- ha- it calls for one or the other. There's times to be tenacious and times to be persistent, yeah. but the but the um, combination of those two is is perseverance and it's mm-hmm. utilizing both tools to pursue that goal so that you can you continue to be tenacious and knock you know knock your to do list out, executing your goals, and um, not let the hardship dissuade you from moving forward because that's where most people stop is when things get hard or they're hard enough for a long enough period of time. Mm-hmm. That they think the universe is telling them something. They think that, well, I must not be meant to do this. Right. This isn't for me. Um, when we're we're talking to business owners that want to exit, we break them down into three categories. Mm-hmm. The first category is frustrated, right? They're frustrated with with the situation in their company. It's usually because they've kind of they've hit a leadership and management threshold that they can't get beyond, mm-hmm. and so the company's kind of outgrown them. Whether, no matter how small or big, that that's the frustrated category. The force category, there's been some unfortunate circumstances forcing them to sell, whether that's monetary, if that's a divorce, if that's health. There's some reason that's forcing them to sell. And then the third category is focused. 
they're making a focused decision to sell their company and they're going to maximize their company because they're they're putting the building box in place. They don't have they have time on their side. Right. The difference in in bridging between the three is this persistence and and tenacity, perseverance and and working through those hardships because you can get stuck at the frustrated part mm-hmm. if you don't grow yourself to become a better leader and manager of your company and and putting those building blocks together of making operating systems and processes. That's what, that's what breaks you through to the next stage of revenue, Absolutely. the next break point. People who don't begin with the end in mind and make a plan end up cornered by life, and that's when they become forced to make a decision because they haven't put the stop gaps in place. to. Pre- if there is a problem yep. that comes up, there's no, there's no parachute pack for that. And then the last category, the ones who end up selling their companies for the most and make the most profit are the focus to her making long-term decisions and plans. And so when they were down here in, in this, you know, making a hundred thousand dollars in gross revenue and barely making payroll, they made decisions on this is the vision for my life. And this is what I want. I'm going to go through the hills and valleys of, of the journey of this process of growing this company. I'm going to grow myself and pursue and pursue betterment, pursue greatness, pursue growth. Because I know it's going to affect all the people around me and our clients and our customers who we serve mm-hmm. and having that greater principle and focus. Those are the ones who uh, bridge the gap between being frustrated to being focused. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on, man. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's, I guess this is a good segue into, you know, kind of what I do on a yeah. daily basis. Um, so I, I work as an operations manager for an accounting firm, but... Um, it's, it's unique, man, because you don't typically have operations managers in a industry like that. Um, shout out to Solutions Group Accounting Firm, you know, my awesome partners, uh, Robert Cruz and Nathan Green. Um, it's just, you know, like a lot of business owners don't realize how much, not necessarily admin work, but how like boots on the ground you have to be, especially in the beginning stages as you're ramping up and scaling it um to to get it and then sometimes as it's rolling when when the when the train gets rolling you have to be able to take a step back to to do detach yourself from everything to see where you can improve and make better to to your point you know be able to bridge over to the next place cuz you know ultimately like every business has an endpoint you're either going to close the business or you're going to sell the business like in my mind, there's there's no other, you know, no other place you can go with it. You're either going to step away and let somebody else do it or you're just going to let the idea die. And operations definitely plays a big part of that. And, um, you know, how I how I even got into all of this was, um, you know, like I learned operations and stuff just from, you know, my, my daily walk in life, you know, from being structured in football to, you know, being a teacher and having to have a plan and being, you know, before the kids get there, <clears throat> you have to have a structured plan for that day or else the kids are going to, you know, run around rampant and you're not going to gain, gain the respect to now I'm able to harness all of these skills <clears throat> to learn how to put systems and processes in place so that a company ultimately can function without, it, not necessarily it's leader, but like to be able to be self-sufficient and, and that's ultimately where you want to get to with, with operations and things to where, you know, all of these mundane tasks that 
kind of fall through the wayside that really kind of dictates your company's character and culture, you know, if you have somebody, you know, doing that on a daily basis and they get burnt out or the ball drops, then that just makes your company look bad. But to be able to, you know, have systems, processes, um, development in place to continue to progress forward, that's how you get to that, that end point where, you know, the owners are able to make strategic moves to be able to be like, you know what, at this point we're going to sell it. I want to sell it to this type of person. They're going to take care of the company. I'm going to do this. And they have a plan. So. And you, you were also able to develop this because you were running companies while yeah. you were, ha- while you had a full-time job. So yeah. you learned <laughs> automations, you learned yeah. creating processes. And I, I, I had this conversation with someone yesterday or day before yesterday. I can't remember who it was. Mm-hmm. Some people are just process-minded. Yeah. You, you have the ability to see the whole chessboard at once and be able to plan your moves and know what pieces need to go where. Right. And when we say these words, you know, systems and processes, procedures, SOPs, they're kind of, um, they don't carry a lot of weight because people don't know, they don't know. Until you've been in a big company and you have a lot of moving pieces and you've, you have to have very complex long-term projects, People do not understand what you have to infrastructure you have to build to do that efficiently. Like we businesses are, there's two sides of the spectrum. When you we, a business that has more than one employee, you have a hub and spoke model, which is the owner is the hub or the leader is the hub, and everything goes in and through them. So mm-hmm. a decision. Uh, review of a task, review of a of an output for a client. It all has to go through the the founder, owner, leader, whatever you want to, whoever that person is. Right. Hub and spoke. Very inefficient because now the choke point is that hub. Mm-hmm. The other side of that is having something completely decentralized, where you have uh, pods of teams that can make decisions, but then there are. Uh, criteria for when that decision is escalated up the chain of command, right? So right. there, it's decentralized. You have a system so that when this comes up, now this is escalated to this team, and when when it gets escalated to the next team, all the way when it finally reaches the the owner, it's only the things that only the owner, founder, leader has to make decisions on. So what happens then? They can now maximize their output of creativity, invention, ideation, relationships, which is what drives the business. Yep. While the functions of the company, the execution is done by, by the team and the pods that have decided, you know, that that's what they're passionate about. Yeah. You know, we, we started working through, uh, work, have you done Working Genius? I have not. Okay. Um, without getting into that, the more we do testing personality-wise, so Jacob Hoyer, uh, shout out to Jacob, uh, Clarity Navigator, we've done a lot of work with this looking at um, – personality in general and it seems that no matter what test we're using the results are very similar and mm-hmm. so people have um dispositions they lean towards of what they their preferences and what they're better at um for example like tenacity is not my thing i you would think i'm a tenacious person because not very few people can outwork me i i can grind all day yeah but that's not tenacity tenacity is the ability to execute on a bunch of little tasks mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier i like the big hard long-term projects. That's yeah. more where I want to dive into something. I don't want to work on a bunch of little things, but there's people who love that and they just want to go ahead and, you know, crush a to-do yeah, list. Taskmasters. Yeah. And they're like, they love like just the feeling of hitting that, that completed button mm-hmm. on Asana just gives them dopamine. 
right? Where I don't open Asana sometimes for two days because I, <laughs> I, I'm like, I have this big important thing I need to do. Yeah. So building a team with all of these different personalities, I heard this thing yesterday and I'm, I'm going to misquote it, but the CIA says there's four personality types you have that have to have in each team. The first one I th- believe was lion, fox, bear, and I forgot what the other one was. But each one of those is a different set of personality traits. You have someone who's great at ideation, someone who's great at relationships, someone who's great at execution, and someone who's great at aligning the team. Yep. Every different personality tool and leadership educational tool has different definitions for this and how they categorize things. But all a company is, when you boil it down, is a set of uh, people using processes Mm -hmm. to leverage assets to serve a customer. Yep. That's all it is. 100%. Um, man, as you were talking, so many ideas and thoughts and and <clears throat> things that I've acquired over the years of reading and stuff came, came to mind. But uh, referring back to your hub and spoke model, so, like, that reminds me of where I was at and probably other people, like, uh, in terms of, you know, and this is just the industry I'm speaking on because I was in it, is like a personal trainer, right? So a personal trainer is like a hub and spoke because no matter what, like that person is the end all be all. So the trainer makes relationships with the clients. Clients are there for the trainer. As soon as you start to try to spread and venture out to other people, well, they don't want to work with that person because they've established the relationship with you and, you know, they like your energy and, and everything like that. So that model is really difficult to expand upon because you're the end all be all. You can only, you can only handle so many clients. You can only train so many hours. It's very hard to scale that. Um, and then when you were talking about having, you know, everything working up the chain of command, that reminds me of, um, the book, um, extreme ownership where he talks about when Jocko Willink talks about decentralized command And I'll never forget back when I was a teacher, I actually read the book and I was like, you know what? I wonder if I can implement this. So I was a strength and conditioning coach. So in my weight room, I had 10 platforms. And what I would do is I'm like, okay, I need to find a leader for each of these platforms. So, you know, kids come in, they, they build their own little social groups and each, you know, each little group works out with each other each day. Well, I need to find a leader in each of those groups who I can give a briefing to, give the instructions for the day, and they lead the team. And as I started to implement it, man, it was, like, awesome to see how the kids, A, took ownership of it, but they would come in. They knew exactly what to do. They, Their person, their leader of their team would, would say, all right, here's what we got today. They would make sure they were doing everything right. And it gave me the freedom to walk around and be able to observe and correct as needed, um, as opposed to if I was doing all the work, I'd have to go to each station. I'm like, all right, guys, we're going to do this. It just takes too much time, and it's not scalable. So, you know, in those two instances, the one where I did decentralized command was way more effective because I put the responsibility onto the person. They They cherished that responsibility, and they ran with it. And that's really how... You know, like I think that's the start of like really understanding how to scale and how to scale a business and get 
people to do what they're doing best. Kind of like what you were talking about, the lion, the bear, the fox. And I I for, yeah, I'll have to go back and find that again. You know, finding the right people to put in the right seats. And, you know, there's tons of books that talk about it. And, you know, it, and it's true because if you can get the person that loves doing that and, like, takes ownership of it, then that's just one less thing that you have to worry about because they're going to thrive in that. They will want to do a good job as opposed to you having to micromanage each task of the day. And before you know it, you know, you have decision fatigue and you're just wiped out by the end of the right. day. There's, there's two things that come, actually three things that come to mind. So mm -hmm. the fruit of that for you was you organically grew a huge competitive weight lifting team at the school. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and very competitive too. Um, because, if if you brought you brought the group of students into the decision making process, they had to, they took ownership and mm -hmm. that extended into their social circles. They said, "Well, I now want to better myself, become stronger, better, faster, yeah. and I want to now compete." Yeah, because they bought into that. And you had a huge uh, a huge amount of girls girl weightlifters too, if I remember <laughs> correctly. Yeah, uh, that was an awesome experience, man. Um, you know, just talking about it briefly, I, I remember coming in uh, and with the weightlift, the girls weightlifting program at that time, I think only had like 12 girls that, you know, a few of them did it the previous year, but you know, a lot of them I pulled from my weightlifting class just from being around them each day. Um, and it was just awesome how that transitioned. And when you're in it, you don't, you don't realize what you do. At least I don't, I don't realize that it's happening as I'm in it. So, you know, 12 turned into 24, 24 turned into 40, 40 turned into 80 girls, by the time, you know, I had uh, departed from, from the high school. And it was just interesting because the girls take ownership in it. They, they come in and they push the other girls and they tell them, hey, like, you can do this. And they give them encouragement. And, I mean, but that's what all the kids looking for, let alone anybody. That's, they're looking for somebody to pour into them, encourage them. And See value, too. Yeah. And, See, and they're valuable enough and they have absolutely. the resources to do it and believe in them. Absolutely. So, I mean, that was an awesome experience for me just to, you know, be able to be a part of those teams developing on their own, man. And um, I don't know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's the struggle that I have faced, and I'm sure many business owners are going to relate to. You start growing a company, mm -hmm. and as the company grows, you start Ha you start realizing the weaknesses in your processes and procedures. Mm -hmm. but And most of them live in your head because you're the one creating it. If right. you're the, if you're, so every business has usually a visionary at the top, the one who's, who's the idea person that you have, a integrator who's executing on those ideas. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're the same person, but when companies get big enough, you typically have a visionary and integrator. Um, if someone wants to read one book on business growth and, and structuring, I always recommend Traction, their Absolutely. EOS process. Yep. Um, I think it does the best job at encompassing probably 30 other, other books, but visionary at the top, integrated uh, down the line. So if you're the visionary, you have all the ideas, mm -hmm. and now all the processes live within you. Your team is coming to you to get those processes. Right. The challenge is when you start growing – and you're doing the executing, the providing to of, of the output for the service, mm -hmm. you have to stop doing the output to do the, to build the process. Right. And 
then you get stuck in this loop of like, we cannot grow until I build this process. I cannot build this process because I have to produce revenue. We have to produce revenue because we have to pay for operations. We can't systematize operations. We haven't stopped built processes. We can't stop build processes because we have to get revenue. So most people get stuck in this loop of, of that. And I mean, I, I deal with it too. Um, since we have a licensed industry, there's certain things that I have to do because I'm licensed. Um, the way out of that is knowing this up front mm-hmm. and spending the time before you get too big to build these out. Absolutely. And then make a list of the things every day that people come to you that they need your approval for, or they need your advice on or things you're having to correct. And that's what you need to start systematizing first, which one comes up the most yep. and has the highest value play whack-a-mole, knock that one out, go to the next one, yep. go to the next one, go to the next one. And it sounds like that's what being an operations manager is all about. 100%. I almost felt like you were like standing next to me each and every day as you explained. <laughs> it's like, man, are you watching me do work every day? How'd it's you know? Every, yeah. that, the thing is the reason why consulting businesses is so easy yeah. is they're all the same. It doesn't 100%. matter what in, what industry you're in. If you're underwater, if you're an underwater basket weaving class company, or if you're building aerospace products, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. You're taking an idea that's being implemented by people mm-hmm. who are using systems and processes to leverage assets to mm-hmm. produce an output. It yep. doesn't matter what that's business it. you're in. It's all the same. That's it. Yeah, man. I mean, you're spot on. Um, currently, what I'm doing is I'm trying to duplicate myself. So my role at the firm, I, I'm, I'm kind of like a Swiss Army knife as well, where I have the ability to implement systems, processes, and <coughs> and execute. I'm an executor, um, but I also have the ability to communicate and build relationships. Mm-hmm. So to your point, I'm on the other side generating revenue as well because I'm I'm able to go out, talk to people like, hey, man, like, you know, help, let me help you solve your problem while still being in the thick of it like like yesterday – for example, we had a AC unit go out. I had to coordinate the AC repair guy on where he needed to go, where everything was at, you know, all of that stuff. While we had a shipment come in and we had 20 chairs that we needed to repair. So I, you know, repaired the chairs and, you know, then you switch and I'm back, back to sales. So, I mean, you're spot on. And the only way that I can get out of that is by duplicating myself and, taking somebody and be like, okay, go through all my processes, figure out what I can automate that really doesn't need my attention and approval. Uh, finding somebody who can do tasks and that actually love doing the task so that, you know, they don't get burnt out with it and just empowering people so that, you know, as you, you know, as, as I built this person up, I'm able to step away and now do something that's more beneficial to the entire, you know, cog of the machine. Yeah. And, and I want to also highlight the reason you're doing this is not because you want to do less work. Right. Absolutely. It's because the, the people who are benefiting from the service will Mm -hmm. have a better experience. Absolutely. And then the people who are executing on that service will be able to live more into their calling and have a better experience. Absolutely. Like one of the, biggest gifts you can give someone is to give them a job where they feel like they're able to live out who they're called to be. Um, 100%. Like 
uh, Jacob Hoyer leads this program called Unique, and it was a. I think you remember because I yeah, yeah. yeah when I went through it, and and what it does is it highlights your tendencies and the things that you are naturally drawn to. Mm-hmm. And I, I stress to anyone who doesn't know what you want to do with your life, it's so valuable to go through some process like that to figure yeah. out what you are best suited for and then start leaning into that. Because you're mm-hmm. going to have, and, and, and within your team too, because you're going to find out there's people who are really good at a thing that you hate to do. Absolutely. And they will do that and they feel like they're living their best life. Yep. There's things I absolutely hate doing that Farrah loves to do. Yeah. There's things I hate doing that Keith loves to do. Yeah. There's things that Keith hates doing that I probably love to do. And so building that orchestra of, in, uh, of people that have different talents and abilities mm-hmm. is how you're going to be able to produce a better result for your client, be more profitable. Because if yep. your organization is inefficient because people are coming to you for, for uh, questions or concerns or they're not sure on how to execute on a process, it's less profitable. Yep. Every time. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're spot on uh, thinking about that. And, you know, again, I talk in stories. So, you know, I was a part of this business and, you know, in, in my head, it, it was successful. But where it kind of went off the rails was, you know, I think businesses get caught up in, you know, generating revenue versus processes. So, you know, like right now in our in our social society, we got everybody that's marketing, 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 marketing. Well, you get all these people, <clears throat> you push them into this funnel. And if you don't have the infrastructure and the people in place to receive all them people, well, the only thing that's going to happen is they'll come in. They'll be like, well, this wasn't what I thought it was. This sucks. And they're going to leave anyways. And now you have a bad reputation because, you know, you were marketing one thing, you didn't deliver on what you said and your whole reputation's tarnished. So, um, you know, if I could give any advice to, to any business owner listening or anything, take some time and, and it, and it may not be them. They may not be the person to understand the operations and the process, but find somebody, if it's not you, that can help you work through processes. And once you figure out, you know, the mainframe of the process, like, you know, the, the bare bones of it, just continue to develop it and just stick with it and develop and improve and develop and improve until the process is so efficient that it doesn't require your input and that it's running on its own. Once that happens, you know, it's easy to take somebody who has a passion for something and plug them in and then it's running and then, okay, now here's another process I need. Let me find somebody who you like doing this, plug you in and you'll find that your company will scale exponentially just by taking the time and focusing on the operations so that it doesn't need, it doesn't need you. It doesn't need your constant hand on it or your micromanagement of it. It's just, okay, cool. Person comes in, these steps happen. Okay. Once these steps are done, this happens. And then it's real easy to start measuring performance and efficiencies and how fast you're, you're going through your process. And ultimately it gets you to where you want because with all of those things happening, the client gets what they want. And that's what you right. want at the end of the day. You want the client to be happy. You want the client to receive excellent service so that A, they're paying you for your services, but B, they're going to go out and run their mouth about 
or run their mouth to everybody they can about how awesome of an experience and service that you provided to them, all because you took the time to make sure that they were handled from point A to point B. Well, here's, here's the fruit of that. So you're the fastest growing accounting firm in the country, the only one in the Inc. 5,000. What's your marketing budget? Zero. Exactly. <laughs> you, yeah. you do zero marketing yeah. besides a website update every now and then. Yeah, we do zero. So, and, and that's, I'm just a part of it. I, I have to give much credit to our, our both of our partners, you know, um, and, and they help me kind of figure out what my, my strong suit, my, where I stand at, um, is like you were talking about figuring out, you know, going through unique, you know, I, I wasn't fortunate enough to go through that yet, but you know, because of who our, our partners are at, at the accounting firm, man, they, they've really challenged me. They put me in places where I felt uncomfortable at times, but through all that, I figured out exactly what I thrive at, what I enjoy doing, and I'm and they give me the ability to just go full speed ahead in it, man. And you know, I I'm able to come alongside of them and help them reach their goals and dreams and and visions and execute it for them. You know, like they both are, are visionaries in their own way. And you know, you got me here in the middle. I'm like, all right, you want to do that? All right, well, if we're doing that, we got to do X, Y, Z so that, you know, I, I connect the dots. I'm right. I'm the integrator. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in, in reference to, to traction, I'm that integrator who's like, okay, you want to do this, this, and this? All right, let me see what we got. All right, man, we're going to need this, this, and that. We don't have those yet. All right, let's <laughs> let's makeshift it until we can figure it yeah. out. And um, it's been awesome, man. Um, we, we service all types of clients from – mom and pop startups to multi-million dollar companies. And, you know, to your point, all of them have the same problems and you, you try to help them work through it and, and figure it out. Some receive it, some don't, some are kind of stuck in their ways and that's okay. Um, but as you, as I'm just working and seeing the different companies, it's, it's the same thing all the time, man. Like they, they start off, they get some revenue, the ones that figure it out that, you know, Hey, the, the monies and the referrals and, and the service that you provide, they thrive. The ones that throw a bunch of money at marketing, you know, they, they usually have a hard time because, you know, when the marketing's not working, you're still spending, you're still spending money, but you're not getting the revenue to match the, the marketing that you're spending. So they usually have a tough time trying to, you know, figure that portion out and, and really, it's simple, man. You provide an excellent service. You take care of the client, and the client will take care of you. Could you hand me that book back there? Sure, you, which you, one? You versus Google. So I want to give a shout-out to Solutions 8. They are a Google Ads agency. But this book taught me two things. Um, There's nothing worse than throwing good money at a bad offer. And there's nothing that will uh, break your business faster than throwing traffic to a bad business model. Absolutely. And so you can turn the dial up as high as you want on PPC, on direct marketing, direct outreach. 100%. It, you will find out that your offer is the issue and that your business model has issues. And so before you start investing in this stuff, 
which is why we're not running. I mean, we're pretty well versed in, in Google ads, but mm-hmm. we're not running Google ads because we need to get everything else squared away first. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I always tell clients when we're <clears throat> making decisions on how to grow the business, how to scale the business or how to plan for an exit. I always say, may, take, keep a piece of paper by you, make a list of everything you're doing that day. And then you have to make a de- one of four decisions for that task every day. Look at, look at that list of tasks end of the week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I automate it? Yep. Can I delegate it? Or can I eliminate it? If I cannot do one of those three, then I have to do it myself. And if I have to do it myself, then my next most important role is become a recruiter and recruit someone who can either automate, delegate, or eliminate those those tasks. 100%, man. Because that's how you create that operational efficiency, remove that operational drag, is automation, delegation, elimination. Yep. Um, you were actually the reason why we got into automation. I remember you were telling me about automation, and I was like, what is this? What what <laughs> what shiny thing is is JT chasing now? This was probably four four years ago, maybe. Yeah. And uh, when I discovered Zapier, I was like, okay, I guess another subscription I got to pay every month. Yeah. We automate around two thousand tasks a month through Zapier now, and through we use high levels our CRM. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how we have a, around one hundred and seventy automations running in high level now, wow. and approximately. And that's something as simple as when a, uh, someone fills out a contact form and the phone number is bad, it sends them an email and letting them know we have a bad phone number. Can they reply with the phone number? And then chat GPT analyzes the reply and then puts the phone number in the right spot. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what happens then is I don't have to write an email now whenever we get an automated test message that kicks back because there's a failure that, and a lot of times someone types the wrong number in, right. Yeah. Or they, the country code was wrong. And then we fix that problem. Um, little things like that. And, and we decrease that operational drag so that we can spend more time serving the client. It's not because we want to do less things. We're still here, you know, I wouldn't say 24 seven, but a lot more than, than we probably should be. Right. Um, because we want to, we want the client to win. And the Absolutely. way we do that is we have to become better. And the way we do that is become faster, stronger, better. Yep. And we more do that efficient. by removing things we don't need to do automating what we can and finding people who can execute on the things that we shouldn't be doing. Absolutely. And, you know, just as, as you were talking about, you know, the different tools and stuff, man, like anybody listening, I would, I would highly recommend just start, start tinkering with different apps and stuff like Zapier, go high level, um, Asana, monday.com. Like there's so many tools (laughs) out there that will allow you to, just be so much more efficient so you don't have to do everything. Right. You know, and if you don't have to do everything, you can focus on the things that matter most to your point. Again, the client, the client is what matters, the client experience and them receiving what they a pay for, but you know, a little bit more than that, just giving them what they need. Like, you know, like people are out here searching for answers and looking for help because there's no possible way they can know everything. Right. You know, and by having a, a solid system in place, you're able to provide that to them. And then, you know, it, it's super easy for somebody to, like the, the referral, like getting a referral is like gold. So, you know, it, it's warm. You don't have to worry about convincing them. The, the person who referred them already, 
did all the work for you. All you have to do is just slam dunk it. Right. You and know? execute on what you said you're going to do. Exactly. So, like, by building that up, like, I think that, you know, hand over fist is more valuable than trying to throw money at a bunch of ads and trying to figure that stuff out. You're never going to acquire a customer as efficiently through marketing as you will through referrals. Absolutely. The only down, the only downside to referrals is they're not predictable. You can't put Absolutely. a dial on that and turn it up or turn it down. So I think Correct. it's a both and. I think yeah, you yeah. have to leverage um, marketing when you need to and have it on a dial so you know, if I invest $1,000 here, it's going to produce a client. Like yep. for every $1,000, I'm going to get one client. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's the heart. Whenever we talk to clients about marketing, that's the hardest thing for them is they're so used to referrals and people yeah. who just walk in the door, like it costs them nothing to acquire a client. Well, if you want to scale, you're going to have to start throttling some money into that. It's not going to be as profitable. Yeah. Well, you just, you just redirect the money somewhere else as opposed to paying for marketing. You're paying for your operations. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think by pouring the money into your operations, you can predict a lot better because, you know, you can see how, like you can measure performance because you can see how fast the clients get through your system. You can make sure that every, at every stop point or every checkpoint, they're receiving what they said. You can follow up with a client. You can send a survey. There's so many things you can do to gather data yeah. to be able to make a, you know, a conscious decision on your next move. Yeah. And, um, I completely lost that thought where I was That's going with right. that. So one of the things we also t- we tell clients too is um, if they're buying a business particularly mm-hmm. or if they are um, want to sell in the next few years, the easiest thing to delegate is payroll and accounting. Oh, 100%. If you're doing your own pay- – I'll give you an example, right? So um, Robert and I had this conversation about six months ago. Mm-hmm. I had kind of – we were paying, we're paying QuickBooks payroll which is around, I don't, I'm not going to talk numbers, but, you know, yeah. under $200 a month. For sure. And for our size company. Well, to do process the payroll. Well, when I went to, I finally asked the question on, okay, how much is it going to be to do payroll? And I looked at, okay, so I'm doing it, well, not me, Farrah's doing it for us, and she's spending this time on it. <clears throat> and then when a problem comes up, we still have to deal with the IRS, and we pay this much a month. Yep. Or I can pay a firm to do it. And when the problem comes up, they deal with it. And all we have to do is email over our, our payroll summary each week. Yep. So if you want to delegate something easy, Oh yeah. Pull, you know, same with bookkeeping. I can sit there and do bookkeeping for an hour, an hour a week, or I can just like take that money and invest it in growing the, um, you know, growing the company by taking that off my plate. I remember when I was, I remember what my point was earlier. So, we don't give tax advice, but one of the questions that comes up is um, for ad backs, right? Where, where to invest money to grow a company so that's more valuable. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we see owners who are using 179 deductions. They're buying assets like new vehicles every two years, so they pay less taxes. Yeah, That's fine. Yeah. But if you invested in people, you have the same tax. You're still investing the money. And you're and you're lowering your tax burden, mm-hmm. but your company's going to grow faster, which is going to then produce more income versus that asset. You buy a truck or you buy an SUV or a piece of equipment, unless you absolutely need it, you're doing it to just defer taxes. 
um, you've spent the money and that asset is going to be worth less in two years than what you paid for it. Yep. But if you invest in hiring and growing your company and growing your operations or your team, that's going to be worth more than what you paid for. It's going to appreciate over time and it's going to pay you more dividends. And so having that, be willing to take the delayed gratification. Do you want to make a million dollars in five years or do you want to make $50,000 a year now? Yeah. So in order to do that, you have to make these type of investments capital-wise, people-wise, um, so that you can grow your company in the future. You have to, instead of buying a new widget, invest <laughs> in growing a team, invest in growing your processes, because that will pay you more money in the long run and, and, and help grow the company faster. I mean, you're absolutely correct. Um, you, wouldn't be su- you'd, you wouldn't be surprised, but like I think social media is good, but social media has a lot of... Um, not even misinformation, they don't give all the information. So, you know, a lot of times in the accounting firm, we'll, we'll have new clients come on board and they're like, oh, well, you know, I could do the Augusta rule. I can do the 179 deduction. I can do all this and that. And they don't understand there's tons of tax law and rules and requirements for you to even qualify for that, let alone, you know, just you got a W-2 and, you know, you have a little side Etsy business and you want to take, you know, <laughs> you you want to do a section 179. Well, it don't that don't necessarily make sense, you know, to the IRS. So you end up putting yourself in a worse situation trying to implement all these different tax strategies without knowing. So to your point, hiring a tax professional who's versed in this, yeah, you may not get the answer that you want to hear, but you'll you'll at least get some guidance from someone who understands the tax law can implement different strategies and you grow with them. Like I look at like an accountant, like a, um, like a wise advisor, you know, like when you need some guidance on something, you have this resource that has an infinite amount of knowledge in terms of how you should spend this money to, to, you know, lower your tax liability and help your business grow. Um, we do tons of, of business consulting. We help tons of clients where, you know, we, we give out free advice, just trying to help them get on the right track. Cause you know, us charging for, you know, a simple consultation that does us no good. Like we're here to help the clients and, you know, if they receive something off social media and they go out here and mess themselves up, I've been victim to it. And, you know, you realize like, crap, that's not what I needed. Um, by having somebody who's knowledgeable in it, it, it just helps you grow and expand that much more quicker. Well, and that wisdom comes from working with thousands and thousands of small to medium-sized businesses. Yep. And when you work with small and medium-sized businesses, you see which problems come up. You see that the situation happens over and over again. The answer is very simple. Yeah, I'll tell you this story real quick. I don't know if I ever told you the story. So I knew Robert for you know, probably a few months. And when we decided to like, okay, this is who I want to move my account, my accounting to. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, ha- I mean, I've been through, I'd been through seven accountants mm-hmm. in uh, however many years. Right. Yeah. And out of all those accountants, and I sat down and talked tax strategy with Robert was the first one that offered something that, that was so simple and, and worked for our strategy that, I don't know why no other accountant ever offers a QBID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had always taken a smaller salary because we, you know, pay less in payroll taxes. Yep. But had no idea how that affected 
the Q- QBI yep. and then how that affected my overall tax rate and then also leveraging how that prevented how much I was going to leverage on my 401k. Mm-hmm. And so then like re- refocusing the strategy, you know, two years later, we're not paying any more in taxes, but we're able to put more money in the right places so that that's growing too. So we're, we're yeah. now able to leverage that in a new way that I, I've talked to, you know, tons of accountants and never got that advice. And it was simple and, and, uh, clear and concise. And that's why we point so many clients towards solutions group, why we say, okay. And we see it all the time. Um, a client says, yep, I want to sell my business. Let's go. And then we're stuck. We're stuck for months because the accountant is the choke point. I, I, I had accountant, um, huh, I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but they're, they're, uh, in Volusia County we had a client came to us and said, we want to sell. So they did an email introduction with the accountant crickets. They never replied to the email. I finally called the accountant on the phone and they're like, you know what? And all I needed, I said, I said, need the three years of tax return copies. The client doesn't have them. Can you send them over to me mm-hmm. on the phone? The owner of the accounting firm says, I could probably do that in about two weeks. All you got to do is drop him an email and an attachment yeah. email him over. So yeah, I can get that in two weeks. And it was no joke about two weeks before he sent them to me. Wow. And come to find out they had, they have boxes of paper files in their office. They have, and they have to literally go through the paper files to find them. Yeah. And it blew my mind. And so often we, we ended up where we're telling the client, like, if you want to sell this company, you're going to have to fire your accountant. I'm sorry, or fire your attorney. But most of the time it's fire your accountant because they're, they're what's killing your business. You know, you're late every year in your taxes you're two years behind. You keep filing extensions. You keep paying interest. Yeah. This is not done right. We see like with the same accountant we saw, um, they had a, this person had a, a business where they made a product that they then rented out. Hmm. And they were putting the asset, the development of assets inside of cost of goods versus putting it as a depreciable item because right. they own the asset. They weren't selling it. They held the asset and right. they rented it out. Right. And the, the accountant had been doing it. So now we're like, okay, we need to recast this and show the depreciation. Yeah, you have to amend all those tax returns to make sure that it accounts for it. Because if we have to go put this in front of an <laughs> SBA lender, SBA lender is going to pitch that and say, nope, can't touch that. Like exactly. we can't add back that $200,000 a year in development costs because right. it's, in, it's in COGS. We, that you can't do that. Yep. And so, you have to tell the client, all right, well, if you want to sell, you got to fire the accountant. Yeah. And, and it's tough for some people, some business owners, because their accountants are like, they're, you know, they're, they're sacred. So like, oh, I've been with this accountant for like five years. And it's like, all right, well, you know, like, are you, are you progressing? Are they helping you save taxes? Are you developing any new strategies to help you grow even more? You know, and, and not bashing accountants, but a lot of them don't have the infrastructure in place you know, because like for lack of better word, they're, they're, they're like into numbers and they're not. It's their personality. It's yeah. what they're, they're not as entrepreneurial and operational as they right. are. They're very good at numbers. Right. So they're not implementing paperless systems. They're not implementing things in place to, to make them run more efficient. You know, as soon as you said, oh, like, yeah, he had to go through boxes. I'm like, that's crazy. You know, here. Did you uh, imagine if they had an audit? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uh, well, this this paper right here, um, the roach is kind of like the, <laughs> disintegrated. I don't know what we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know that that's what I love about you know Solutions Group is 
we're very technology driven. We're always trying to improve. I mean, literally all of our the client portal is awesome. Yeah, our, we have a client portal where we're able to, you know, exchange documents securely. All of our tax returns, you know, ninety percent of them are are all digital. So we're able to go on, go into our systems, pull it down, do whatever we need to do so that we can serve the client better. And you know, because of that, I think, like I always tell. I always tell people we're like the uh, the bad news bears of accounting because, you know, we're like literally I, I wear polos all day and we're in jeans. We're not in like ties and suits and all that. Like we meet the people. And you have personalities. Well, right. I mean, Nate, <laughs> Nate's got a lot of personality. Yeah. <laughs> he does, man. <laughs> I love him to death. Oh, yeah. I love both. Of, but those those two are some <laughs> of the most dy- are probably the most dynamic entrepreneurs I know. And together yeah. they're a deadly combination because Absolutely. they, they both are able to execute on such a high level. Yep. I mean, Robert gets so much done in a day. I feel like I'm, I'm every time I talk to him, I'm like, yeah. I just need to, I can't keep up. Yeah. And he's so smart in terms of yeah. just his tax, tax knowledge and just how everything works. It's in just, business too, not yeah. just tax. I mean, Robert is yeah. oh, so 100%. sharp and put together and Nate is, uh, he's got so many ideas. And he's the visionary and, yeah. and he's the driving force and, and momentum. He, yes. Nate, if, if there's one word to describe Nate, I would say it's momentum. Absolutely. Because he is <laughs> from sun up to sundown, a hundred miles an hour yep. there. You cannot stop him. You cannot slow him down. Nope. Cause you share an office with you still still share an office with him. Um, so now that we moved into our new location, I'm kind of in the main area, but like I'm I'm always in there, and we're always like, um, you know, like I'm I'm his kind of his uh, governor, right? So like <laughs> he'll be running like, all right, JT, we're gonna do that. I'm like, all right. So then you know the the operations manager and me, I'll pull out. We'll have this uh, big dry erase board or um, the sketch board. And I just start like he'll tell me his idea, and I'm start sketching and putting things together. And before you know it, we we spent like an hour like really diving into an idea and figuring out how it can work. So like we balance each other real well because I can meet his energy, but I'm able to be like, okay, man, well, what about this? And okay, this, and like we kind of just feed off of each other. So it's, right. it's pretty awesome. Um, just you know how we've been able to to develop stuff. You know, he, he tells me, hey, I need this done. I'm able to execute it. And, you know, we go back to the drawing board, figure out how to adjust it and, and move forward so that we can improve and get better. And that's why we keep sending you as clients because we know they're going to be taken care of. And we got, I had, I taught, it's funny. <clears throat> Sometimes I feel like I talk to Robert more in a week than I do my <laughs> wife. And um, I told him on the way in the work this morning, I got a client to send him because we have an issue that we need to fix that the previous accountant cannot fix. And so it's hand them off and put them in good hands. Yeah. And we, I mean, we have an entire team. We have a full blown, we have a bookkeeping team. We have a tax team, you know, there's multiple people. Payroll, sales tax. We have a payroll, sales tax. Filings. Everything. Annual, annual, annual filings with the state. Yep. And, and part of my, my role there, um, outside of just operations manager is, is client management, just making sure, you know, cause the biggest complaint that most business owners and, and people have with accountants is they don't communicate. Right. Like they get busy. hundred percent. They they're stuck in the weeds. They can't, they can't pull their head up enough to communicate with you and still do what they need to do. So, you know, having a person like me 
who can call the client, like, hey, how's it going today? Like, you know, how can, what do you need? Like, what question do you need answered? And I'll go get it for them. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the owners. They just want the question answered, you know? So what is that question is probably a stressor for them. A- absolutely. So what I have the ability to do is like, all right, hey, let me, let me get this taken care of for you right now. So, you know, I go utilize our resources and come back with an answer. And I'm like, oh, man, thank you so much. Like, they're so appreciative after you get their answer. And they send you like 10 clients, 10 referrals. And it's like all you had to do is just communicate with them. And most of the time, the question's a simple, like a simple question or a simple answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it just takes time sometimes. It, it sometimes takes a little time to, you know, gather the information real quick right. to get it to them. But And now that's morphed into not just accounting. Yes. But wealth management. You have a wealth management arm as well. Yes. So we, we also, um, not only are we solutions group accounting, but um, inside in the firm, we have wealth management as well as mortgage. And what it allows us to do is as a client comes in, the natural flow of the conversation is, hey, how can I save all my taxes? <clears throat> Um, well, we're going to implement some different wealth management strategies that require a financial advisor. Well, lucky for you, we walk downstairs, literally talk to our financial advisors, connect you with them. And the handoff is just so seamless because we all work in the same firm. Like you can strategize together. You can have a unified front on what's best for the client. And then where the mortgage arm comes into play is, you know, we're dealing with entrepreneurs and business owners to your point earlier. If you know, you have, you know, you're not showing enough income, it's going to be really hard for you to get a mortgage. So what we're allowed, what we're able to do is be able to handle our clients in a way where we can get their books, correct, get it to where like, Hey, you know, you need to be paying yourself a little bit more salary, adjust it accordingly, get their payroll, right. And then be able to execute a mortgage for them all in-house so they don't have to go anywhere else they don't have to deal with anybody else um i myself and a couple other people in the firm are uh licensed mortgage loan originators so like we're just you know i just like i I love being there because i just get to learn so much and help our clients on so many fronts and and it's a step it's you know you don't get it all at once it's a stair step so like once we get one thing taken care of for you you move on to the next and then once you know you've accessed that level of enlightenment, you go on to the you go on to the next man, and it's just it's awesome to see uh, a client go through the entire process and just thrive. Well, we've sold several companies for clients of Solutions Group, mm-hmm. and the the theme is tip is always been they're well put together, the books are in order, and the business is thriving. I mean, I don't think I've seen a business yet that wasn't thriving that was a client of yours. Yeah. I think that speaks to the service you provide because you're taking that burden off of the client, allowing them to do what they do best, which is run their business, and also giving them advice that comes from the sum of all your experiences mm-hmm. working with thousands of clients across the, the not only the country, but you have some international clients too. Yeah, we have clients as far as New Zealand. Um, we have quite a few clients in Hawaii. Um, goodness, where else? Um, Philippines. So like we, we work with clients all over, um, depending on their, on their, you know, tax situation and stuff. And, and it's just awesome because every situation, you know, warrants like 
new information that you have to gather and learn and stuff like that. And we don't really shy away from that. Um, we, we really pride ourselves on connecting. So even if we don't have the answer or we're not the resource, we are really good about connecting you with people. Like we have some uh, awesome aff- um, affiliate partners. Uh, one that comes to mind is Gerard Grant. Um, he, he's one of our, our business attorneys. He does trust um, estate planning and all of that. And we refer to him all the time because he's just such an awesome person and he matches our values and everything that, you know, like I sent him two or three clients the other day, um, you know, that I just literally just, you know, brought in and they're like, yeah, I'm trying to get a trust set up, trying to do all these things. I'm like, Hey, that's not our strong suit, but Hey, let me make sure you're in good hands. I'm going to connect you with this person. And he takes just as good a care of them as we do with his clients. And it's just, you know, by, by being able to feed those others around you, man, it just makes you that much more dynamic and, and successful and, you know, just helping the client really with what they yeah. need. The, the rising tide raises all ships. I know <clears throat> there are several times I've had a client in front of me that had a question. I picked the phone up and said, let's find out and then call Robert, yep. right? And Robert's in the same. Robert's had clients in front of him and Nate has where they're, they want to sell and pick the phone up. Curtis too. Absolutely. Curtis and, and, and Mike Fister done the same thing when they have clients. And, and they know that goes both ways that yep. um, I will pick the phone up. If, if anyone's going to ask, I have no problem asking a question. I will you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll call and, and, uh, try to get that information. But yeah, it goes both ways. I am more than happy when they call me and I can provide yeah. value to the client because we know it, rising tide raises all ships. Both companies are benefited and the yep. clients benefited, which means the client has a good experience. They're going to, it's going to influence their life and also the people they know. They'll tell other people about that experience. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. well, I think this is a kind of a good place for us to, to wrap it up. If, uh, if people want to get in touch with you and and ask any tax questions, wealth management, mortgage questions, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? We're also going to put your contact information in the Sweet. description of the video too. Awesome. Yeah. Um, feel free to shoot me an email or um, I'll throw my cell number. I don't know if I'm going to throw my cell number in there. I might get all kind of crazy. Well, maybe we'll start with LinkedIn. <laughs> right. We'll start with LinkedIn or in. Um, you can shoot me an email. Uh, it's jthomas at solutionsgroupaccounting.com. Um you know, I'm, I'm pretty easy to get hold of. You can call our firm. Uh, phone number is 321-363-4982. Um, once you get a hold of our awesome reception team, uh, just ask for JT. I'll be able to kind of coordinate and help you uh, get the answers that you need. Um, if you're looking for mortgage or anything like that, just let them know. Uh, and we'll connect the dots, whatever you need. Um, before I get off, I just want to drop one. I want to drop one nugget. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think I dropped a, enough nuggets for today. Um, if you are a business owner and you're looking for somewhere to start with, with operations, I would simply start with just automating <clears throat> your simple daily tasks. So things as simple as paying your bills, um, you know, like ordering your supplies, anything like that, where it, it takes like time to figure out what you have. If you auto like start with just automating those simple things you'll be surprised at how much time it frees up for you to move on to the next thing. And then you'll find ways to automate those things and so on and so forth. So if somebody's looking to start today and you want to just like a simple exercise to get rolling, put all of your bills um, on automation so that they're taken care of. You don't have to worry about any late charges, anything 
happening and and it'll force you to be diligent in making sure that the revenue is matching what your bills are coming out. So just want to drop that, that, you know, that, uh, action button there for you. If you want to try something today, if you're watching this video and you want to just, you know, get rolling, start with that. And if you have any questions, we do business consulting, feel free to reach out and I'll be happy to, you know, hop on a call with you or a zoom call and help you any way I can. Awesome. Well, JT, thank you so much for being on. I feel like you shared a lot of wisdom. People are going to benefit from that. Again, I just enjoyed the conversation. I learned a lot today. So. Yeah, and me too. So I appreciate it and uh, look forward to seeing what, what more we can do. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, folks. I thank you guys for watching. Please like and subscribe. Share this so we can get the word out. And thank you for uh, being subscribers. We really appreciate it. All right, thanks. See you on the next one.